Welcome to Leadership Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen, and we are so glad that you have joined us for this particular podcast, and you need to get ready. Chris, what is the topic that we're going to tackle for today? Today, we're going to talk about relentless focus. Anytime a leader receives a vision as to what God would have him to do or her to do, that begins with focus. Focus is what brings clarity to your vision, and it's what also must be sustained throughout the process. We cannot accomplish the goals God has set for us and accomplish the goals that we have for our organizations without sustaining focus. So we're going to look back a little bit in history and maybe how God has done that in and through High Point Church, and we'll look at that in the context of the Leadership Works organization and in other ways, but it's so, so important to understand there are so many things out there that try to distract us to cause us to lose our focus. If you're someone out there right now that you just have a burden to make a difference, you need to keep listening. Maybe if you're someone who you're not in that leadership position right now, but you're restless, you know that there is something more, or maybe you are that leader and you are tackling something God-sized, I think that you will find some practical application, but also that encouragement that you need along the way. The other thing I'd say about that in the world of focus, when we think about leadership, the first person that we have to lead in leadership is ourself self-leadership. And so we've got to maintain focus in that. And whether you're the leader of an organization or whether you're the leader of a team or whether you're a member of the team, in your specific role and responsibility, focus is essential. There was a point in time where you were having to answer the question, what could be? I've heard you in the past give this definition of vision that I think might be really appropriate as a starting place for us today. How does vision work into all of this? Vision is a clear mental could be, fueled by the conviction that it should be. Anytime you're starting a movement, you've got to understand your ability to paint a picture A picture that starts out there in the future. You've got to know, what does this look like five years down the road? What does this look like 10 years down the road? And then that picture has to be so clear and compelling, it forms a conviction inside of you that you go through this progression that this vision has to be something that goes from could be to should be to must be. So would it be fair to say if someone's out there right now and they've got this great idea of what could be, but there's really not that second component that it should be, they're probably not ready to step forward. Would you say that's accurate? In the development of a vision, there's this time that the idea begins to form in your mind. And the moment the idea forms is not the moment that you move immediately into implementation. There is a season where that idea has to come to maturity. And you go into a preparation phase of really nurturing that idea and kind of watering the seed of that idea to give it opportunity to mature and to grow and then begin to see what does it look like to turn this vision, this good idea, into a strategy that I can then turn into taking the vision into reality. One of the key components here for this idea to move from the should be category to the could be category to the must be category, you've got to be dissatisfied with the status quo. There's got to be this discontent with the way things are 
you're not patient in this process. There's a certain impatience that fuels the process because the picture of what you see is so compelling that you cannot be content. In fact, you are discontent with anything less than that clear mental picture of the future. We're obviously using the example that is our journey and in creating a church, but these principles apply within nonprofit, within ministry, but also within the secular environment. How do you know if it is just a good idea or if it is something that you should act upon? Someone who's a leader, oftentimes, and in my particular gifting, I feel like I have lots of ideas all the time that are in the category of good. But how do I discern, in looking at this from a Christian perspective, how do I discern whether that is a good idea or a God idea? For me in particular, I ask the Lord to bring a lot of my visions to me through my devotional time, through a priority time, through his word. It's one of those things that I'm in my prayer life and through the word of God. I'm seeing what are the things that are really God's idea. It's God's vision. He's just simply choosing me to be the vehicle through which he wants to accomplish his purpose. For me, there are things that come and go, but then there are other that go from a good idea to a God idea where I feel like there's a burden attached to it. There's a certain heaviness, a weight that if we don't solve this problem, lives won't be changed. If we don't solve this problem, then the problem will multiply and it'll get worse and and there'll be all kind of negative consequences as a result of not solving this problem. So for me, as I walk through that process, when an idea stays with me and it sustains itself over time and the burden burden gets heavier over time. And then as I'm beginning to pray and discern what are the circumstances surrounding this idea? How do I take baby steps in this process to see that I'm going to start to move in this direction a little bit? I'm going to be faithful in a little kind of pursuing this idea. And I'm going to see if God blesses that faithfulness, because sometimes when you're faithful in a little, then God puts you in charge of much. So every big vision frequently starts with small steps of obedience. You know me well enough to know I'm a very linear person. So before we get too far in the journey, as you are in this kind of marinating phase or this germinating phase, if we stay with the farming terminology, it is so important on the front end to have that anchor that you know that this is what you're supposed to do, that you have that confirmation from the Lord. We talk about prayer and circumstances and the word and the counsel of wise believer all lining up in the same direction so that you can discern that this really is God's next step for you. I say that because we're going to talk about in a minute the need to persevere and the need to maintain focus. And that is so much easier to do. There have been so many times that things get really hard if you're going to take a project or an idea and bring it to fruition. And as the leader, if you have that anchor on the front end, if you've allowed it to germinate and you have that confirmation from the Lord, that's what you hold on to when things get difficult. Right, because these visions, they never come to fruition in a laboratory. 
they don't occur in a sterile environment. When you begin to take the steps of obedience in that vision, it's in the midst of everyday circumstances. There's typically a whole lot more adversity that accompanies a startup vision than there is kind of the prosperity of it. So there's a lot working against you instead of for you. So you have to have the conviction that this really is a God idea instead of just a good idea to persevere through the adversity that comes your way and to believe that this is such an important vision that must be fulfilled that you're willing to press on. What did it feel like 16 years ago? Did you have all the answers? What did you think was next? 16 years later, I look back and I go, wow, I was incredibly naive. I thought this would be like natural that like I've got this great idea and everything's just going to unfold. And why wouldn't it feel like I'm a fairly good leader and God's told me to do it. And so it should just all unfold naturally. And I look back on it today and I look at it in the context of how difficult it is to do a startup business and how difficult it is for nonprofits to get launched. And then I look at it in the context of understanding the church world. And when I look, I realize that some of that naivety was of God, that if I knew everything about that vision to start with, I may not have started the vision. People will frequently say something to me along the lines of, oh, wow, you just kind of stepped out of the boat, kind of using that picture of Peter asking Jesus, hey, can I walk on water? And Jesus says, come. And he walks on water. And and I say, you know, I don't know that I stepped out of the boat as much as it was that I was pushed out of the boat. There was this vision there, but like maybe it was a wave that just rocked the boat a little bit and maybe I lost my balance and and I had to just take that step. And once I took that step, then I was able to take the second step and the third step. So when I look back on that vision 16 years ago, the thing I would encourage every young entrepreneur, every young leader, wherever you are in the journey, that you've got this new idea If you just believe in it enough to allow your faith, and that word faith means confident trust, to take the first step, then when you obey the what, okay, what it is you're supposed to do with every step of obedience, how you're going to do it becomes more clear. But if you keep waiting to have all the answers before you start obeying, then you're going to delay this thing, and it's never going to happen. You're not going to have all the answers at the front end. You have to say, okay, I know that what God's told me to do, I don't necessarily know all the ways of how to do it, but I'm going to start obeying the what, and when I obey the what, the how's going to become more clear. All right, so... God kind of dared you. You love a dare. Me, maybe not quite as much, but just depending on your personality, what really was the dare that you felt like the Lord was calling you and saying, this is something that not just could be, but should be? Visions are typically birthed from problems, that every vision is a solution to a problem. Well, in some ways, that makes visionaries unpopular with the establishment because you are saying that there's something about the current solution to the problem that's not working. There's something about the establishment that's not working. There's something about the traditions that aren't working. There's a need for something new and improved. And those who are invested in the tried and true aren't interested in the new and improved. When it comes to church, that's even more true because like everything's sacred and all these traditions and all this kind of stuff. I felt like God was asking us not only to do something out of the box, but to destroy the box. 
when you go back and you really discover who Jesus really was, he was the most out-of-the-box revolutionary that has really ever walked the face of the earth and completely turned the establishment upside down. So as we look at this, for us, it was this situation that we wanted to flip the paradigm of how people viewed church. And unfortunately, kind of in the South, it had become something a lot of times where people's perception of church was that the church was critical of people that it was condemning, that you can never be good enough, that I'm not good enough to walk into church. And it was one of these things that oftentimes people would use the term hypocritical, that they felt like people who were in the church didn't live the message, but they judged those outside the church who also didn't live the message. So God gave us a vision to start a perfect place for imperfect people. Let's start with the premise in the agreement that all of us are imperfect. Now, how do we create a perfect place for imperfect people who have traditionally felt unwanted, unwelcome, and unworthy to now believe that this is a safe place? It's a safe place for them to begin a journey. It's a safe place for them to explore forgiveness that all of us know that we're imperfect. All of us know that We make more mistakes than we want. We choose sin more times than not. But is there really a safe place for me to receive forgiveness? Is there a safe place for me to discover what freedom is? That was really the essence of this vision, this burden. All of a sudden, the churches in this community were no longer reaching people And a lot of times they weren't reaching people because we had just simply, whether this was true or not, the perception was we had become unfriendly. As you were saying, a perfect place for imperfect people, but we were actually asking God to use us as imperfect people to create this place. There was this need for us to ask, what is it about Jesus and the way that he approached sinners and the way that he approached his children, his creation, that we would want to replicate? And that really is kind of where the idea of compassion without compromise came from. Right. When you think about this from a leadership perspective, in any category of leadership, there are times that you are overwhelmed or intimidated by, can I be a good enough leader? Can I model this? Am I qualified? When we said a perfect place for imperfect people, in many regards, it took some of that pressure off. You don't have to be a perfect leader. This is a perfect place for imperfect people. In that understanding of all of our imperfections, what really makes one a quality leader is that when we did see how Jesus modeled that he was compassionate toward everyone, every single person is given compassion, but he never compromised who he was and he never compromised what he stood for. He never compromised the truth. And so he's compassionate about where you are on your journey. He's compassionate about whatever has happened in your past, but then he loves you up to the truth. And I think that the key to that, and I think this is such a great leadership principle, is that the leader must be willing to understand before he or she can be understood. One of the things that is most unique about Jesus is he's probably the best in the history of leadership at asking questions. Instead of just walking through town and telling everybody who he was and proclaiming to be the greatest leader in history and proclaiming to be the savior, he walked in town 
and he asked what your name was. And he wanted to know what your story was. He would often sit down and have a meal with you. In this remarkable way, those people who were the most unlike Jesus actually liked Jesus. He became known as this friend to sinners and tax collectors. And the establishment didn't really like that. But yet it was the most attractive equality about him is that people who were unlike him loved to be in his presence, enjoyed being with him. And yet he never compromised who he was. If we could recapture that quality in any organization, in the workplace, there are going to be times that you have to give someone developmental feedback and you have to say very hard things. You have to speak the truth. But can you learn to speak the truth in love? Can you speak the truth with the right tone of voice? Can you speak the truth with the right body language? Can you speak the truth where you care more about that person as a person than an employee and that when they walk away from the experience, they feel valued instead of reprimanded. They feel valued instead of disrespected. These things carry over into every form of leadership because every organization, whether it's business, nonprofit or church, is relational at its core. You are successful as a leader when you have successful relationships. Now, you got to complement that with competency, no doubt, but you can be competent and not have relational competency, and people will follow you out of obligation, out of position, but they will not follow you out of loyalty. Really, that's what we're talking about. As a leader, what type of culture are you creating? Let's say it's a franchise. You're not going to be there. So are you creating a culture that can be replicated, that the people that are taking your message, your vision to another location or your children when they grow up in your home, are they taking that culture with them? Is it something that they have been able to embody? Right. So when you as the leader are not in the room, how are people making decisions? Are they making decisions according to the vision of the organization and the values of the organization? Or do they divert from those and start making decisions based upon their own value system or their own preferences? So that's where culture is so important. And culture will trump vision every time if you're not careful. It's the culture that is this collection of the true values of the organization that will drive the decisions that people make. But more than the decisions that people make, the culture drives the desires of the people who make the decisions. You and I were in a an eating establishment the other day and we walked out and we we're like, we will never go back just because of the culture of the employees were just so apathetic and it was so kind of halfway. And you thought they just have not created a culture. Their product is probably very similar to several others, but there's something about that work environment, that culture that communicates halfway commitment. And I would say in this particular organization, there was a day and a time where both the culture and the product were better. And as the culture deteriorated, the product deteriorated as well. We are almost out of time and we have so much more to say about this topic. Maybe as a last point of conversation on this particular podcast, you're a bold leader. You talk about God calling you to a movement instead of a church. That's a pretty big statement. For other leaders out there, help them to know how to wrestle with that. How do they process what God is calling them to do and to dream bigger and believe God to be bigger than just the status quo? The context that I would put that statement in 
whether you are in business, nonprofit, or church, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then there is no distinction between secular and non-secular. You are simply a person of light in the midst of darkness and that God has given you his vision of how he wants to accomplish his purposes in and through you so that you can be a person that creates a movement of his love in and through you personally and in and through your organization. So it doesn't matter what you sell. It matters how you do it. It matters how you lead your employees and your team and your staff and your organization to be kingdom minded. And there are times that, yes, you can't publicly state that you're doing this in a kingdom-minded way, but you can put it in value-driven language, the golden rule that we want to treat others as we would like to be treated. So in that, you can take something that is originally a value given to us by God, you can put it into a business value, and you can advance By advancing your business, you are creating good in people's lives. You are making investments, and you are giving yourself the opportunity to be salt and light. If we withdraw from the business community and we withdraw from all different forms of entertainment or media and things of that nature, then it's a very short-circuited vision. God's vision is not just for the church. God's vision is not just for nonprofits. God's vision is for the Christ followers who he considers to be the church to go into all of these different businesses and to represent him in such an irresistible way that people see a difference in their life. And that creates the movement. That creates that there is something so attractive about who I am and then about the way God blesses my life that others are interested in that. So these movements occur both on an individual level, but then they can begin to occur kind of on a team level. And then you can see them that there are different ways to contextualize this, but they can occur with your organization. And so like for us in this context, we weren't just trying to create a church. We were trying to create a movement. Well, that's kind of the current context and understanding of a church because God always created the church to be a movement. We're really just going back and saying, no, a church is more than just a church building. It's more than just an auditorium. It's more than just a place that people go on Sundays. It's this movement that equips the saints. Guess who the saints are? All of you. It's a movement that equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. Where does the ministry occur? Not just in the church. The ministry occurs through your relationships. The ministry occurs through your workplace. The ministry occurs in your neighborhood. The ministry occurs in the schools that your children go to. The ministry occurs in all the extracurricular activities that you're involved in. And that when you model a life that proves that love works, that creates a movement. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. We will look forward to a part two on Relentless Focus. In the meantime, you can get more information at leadershipworksconference.org. You can also get information at highpointmemphis.com or follow us at Twitter at Chris Conley and at Karen L. Conley.